The skim is not just an email newsletter. It's a brand built around helping female millennials get smarter. This distinction matters. For a company that has a growing employee family, potential acquirers, and fidgety VC investors, and ambitious founders, there needs to be more than just a newsletter. But a newsletter is a great place to start. The early days of the skim were nothing like some of the failed startups we've looked at, and the skim is one of the better entrepreneurial cases someone could study. That's what we're going to do today. In general, there are five things that it seems like the skim founders Carly Zakin and Danielle Weisberg did well. One, they noticed poor product market fit. Two, they built something small using their current skills. Three, they tested, experimented, questioned, refined. Four, they encamped, that is, they built their brand. And five is that they expanded, they didn't break the brand. So there's a long way to go. Um, the skim could turn out to be another startup bust, or you know, the founders could exit for millions of dollars. But uh, what they've done so far seems to be the way that a startup should go about things. And so that's what we're going to look at today is how um, the skim came to be, what it is, and what are some of the lessons we can extract along the way. One programming note before we get started. before Because founders Carly Zakin and Danielle Weisberg give podcast interviews together, it's sometimes hard for me to know who is talking. So uh, throughout this episode and in the accompanying blog post, um, I just said Zakin and Weisberg, where I uh, couldn't tell who was who. Carly Zakin and Daniel Weisberg left their jobs at NBC to start the skim because their friends kept asking them about the news. Why are smart people asking us, they wondered. They had their, hmm, that's interesting moment. This is what they said, quote, We both grew up news junkies. We started interning at NBC News as soon as we could. We loved our jobs, but saw that the industry was changing and our career paths may not look the same in the next five to ten years. But we didn't want to leave news. So we started to think about our friends, smart, educated women who had great jobs and went to great schools. They're all really busy. They could tell us everything about their industry, but didn't necessarily have the time or the interest to venture outside of it. We saw a void in the market when it came to a news product for this audience, which didn't make sense to us." End quote. So they have this awareness. In Ryan Holiday's latest book, Conspiracy, he talks about the awareness of the different participants, the awareness of Terry Bollea, a.k.a. Hulk Hogan, the awareness of Peter Thiel, the awareness of Nick Denton. And uh, the fates of each of those characters seems to ebb and flow with its awareness. And and that's what we have here with Zakin and Weisberg, is that they were paying attention to the world and they saw something that didn't quite make sense. Autonomously in the garage is not how to start a startup. You have to understand who your customer is, what they want, and how they want it, and what they'll pay. Those are crucial questions. And Zakin and Weisberg had a deep understanding of their customers because it was people just like them. This is what they said, quote, When we think about talking to this demographic, we don't think about it as necessarily talking to an average female millennial out there who likes to hear X, Y, and Z. We just think of it as having our conversation with our friends, end quote. In another interview, they said, quote, I think the key is that we don't research. We did research about them from an economic perspective and researched in order to determine if this was the demographic that we should focus on because we saw how much money they were influencing and how badly advertisers wanted to reach them. 
So that kind of confirmed our thought, that there should be a news source that's geared toward this audience, because they're certainly not connecting with morning television in the same way, nor are they waking up and jumping out of bed to go to CNN.com, for instance, end quote. What Zakin and Weisberg understood, or came to understand about their customers, was that emails were better than text messages, mornings were better than evenings, accurate was better than initial, and conversational was better than didactical. This is what they said. Quote, we went after that audience, but we went after them at a very specific point in their day. We focus on the morning, which is also a differentiator for us. Most importantly, we don't worry about being first. We're not really in a place people go to to see breaking news. And that's been a luxury, end quote. Knowing what your customers want isn't easy. Designers at IDEO and venture capitalist Steve Vassilow encourage us to find latent needs. These are problems that people don't even realize they have. Stanford professor Bill Burnett said, quote, Users can't tell you what they need, but they can show you what they're frustrated with, end quote. The first iPhone proved that apps, touchscreens, and clean user interfaces were all latent needs that people wanted. Before David Ogilvy was an advertising titan, he was a door-to-door stove salesman. Common to each job was a customer connection. Ogilvy had to understand what the latent needs were. He had to understand uh, where people were frustrated. He did so well selling stoves that he penned a guide for his fellow salesmen. Ogilvy wrote, quote, Find out all you can about your prospects before you call on them, their general living conditions, wealth, profession, hobbies, friends, and so on. Every hour spent in this kind of research will help you impress your prospect, end quote. Among other suggestions, Ogilvy advised his fellow salesmen to, quote, learn to recognize vegetarians on site, end quote. He also laid out a matrix of different groups that people could be in and, and how you would appeal to them. So, for example, he said that if you approach the home of a doctor, you want to tout the health benefits of this kind of a stove. If you approach an octogenarian, you wanted to uh, tout the simplicity of this kind of a stove. If it was someone young, you wanted to tell them how long the stove would last. If it was someone old, you wanted to tell them that they could pass this on to their children. So, Ogilvy always wanted people to understand what his customers wanted. And this is something that he continued through his time uh, starting Ogilvy and Mayer. This is what um, he wrote in a 1965 note to uh, Cliff Field about um, an advertisement that came across his desk. Quote, Cliff, so-and-so thinks this is a great advertisement. I don't. It lacks charm. It plods. Heavy as lead. The models, most of them, look like automobile dealers from South Dakota. Not the way to capture the affections of the people who read The New Yorker, end quote. The key for Ogilvy wasn't, do I like this advertisement, but do people who read The New Yorker like this advertisement? Right from the start, Zakin and Weisberg got this right. They had an awareness of this opportunity. But why did they have to start a company? Why couldn't they have done all this at NBC? Uh, Zakin explained this way. Quote, a lot of people ask us, why didn't you bring this to NBC? Why didn't you get this in front of Steve Burke? There is no way that NBC would have allowed two associate producers to not only run the editorial, but to run the business side of what we were doing, end quote. NBC's The Skim makes sense only in the sense that each is a news brand built on trust. In a previous episode that we called Moats and Allocators, we noted that brands in certain industries should change slowly. News brands like NBC are like Coca-Cola. They need to move slowly. They can't make these big pivots or it'll totally erode their competitive advantage. NBC is built around many filters, whereas the skim is built by a few fingers. An email newsletter in the conversational tone of the skim is the antithesis to NBC. This is Disruption Theory 101. 
To conclude his book, The Innovator's Dilemma, Clayton Christensen summarizes his work with these seven insights. 1. Products that appear unimportant today may address a market tomorrow. 2. Do as I pay, not as I say. Incentives are more powerful than directives. Even if someone at NBC was told to make this kind of thing, if they didn't get resources, if they didn't get encouragement, then then it would never happen. And that's the problem, is that NBC has to focus on what they're doing well, because that's how their bread is buttered. Three, more and better is fine, like another hour of the Today Show, until people really want something different. Four, organizational skills are more specialized than managers are inclined to believe. So from the outside, we can say that these are two news organizations, NBC and the Skim, and we think that there's an easy translation there. But in Christensen's research, in his experiences, he's found that it's not so easy just to sort of plug something in and get it up and running. Number five is finding disruption requires experiments, small bets, fast lessons, and room for missteps. Only in a culture of the right incentives, like number two, uh, will this happen. Number six, some companies should be sustainers rather than disruptors. It's okay. We'll get to that in a moment. Number seven, disruption often appears too small to be worth the effort. If you would have taken an NBC executive and shown them the early list size for the skim, this was a list that they built just from sending an email to all of their contacts, all of their family and friends, all of their LinkedIn connections. It was a small thing that grew into something larger, but there's no way the people at NBC would have looked at those early numbers and said, this is something we should get behind. Look at the NBC late night comedy lineup. Jillian Me Fallon hosts the same show that Jay Leno hosted, and Leno hosts the same show as Johnny Carson. NBC has acted like a good incumbent and used sustaining strategies, like putting Fallon's clips on YouTube. That's fine. It works. Disruptions aren't a panacea, as ESPN slash ABC learned with their dalliance with barstool sports. So it's okay to be a sustainer. Just because something is a buzzword doesn't mean you have to do it. To correctly apply disruption theory, Zakin and Weisberg needed to get their MBAs. <laughs> Actually, that's not at all what happened. Instead, they earned their DIY MBA. This may be the better course of action, actually, because sometimes the naivete helps. Uh, Zakin explained this way, quote, It wasn't newsletters that we thought about, it was email. There was a beauty in how naive we were. We didn't have a tech background. We didn't have a business background. It helped us not overthinking things. We just thought, what's the best way to get in front of our friends? We went back and forth. Should we text them? We were like, no, the very first thing you do in the morning is turn off your alarm. It's on your phone. You grab your phone and you literally open your email to be like, did someone die? Am I getting fired? Or is my boss yelling at me? And what did my friend send me? And we knew we had to be in that moment. One of our friends worked in finance and she left the office at 550 every morning. So we were like, we got to get it out to her on that commute. So we chose 6 a.m. End quote. So look how simple that is. This is what we do. This is what we see people do. Email works. They uh, they said in a number of interviews that uh, when they pitched this to venture capitalists, when they were trying to raise money, people were like, email is dead. You need to move on to something else. But they would always email them that after the meetings. And, and so they, they understood that uh, even though people were saying one thing, they were doing something else. This is something else the founders said, quote, we weren't overthinking it. We weren't like, let's A-B test this. We didn't even know what A-B testing was, end quote. Also, 
Quote, we started with an email newsletter, and at the time, everyone told us it was a really stupid idea, that email was dead. Of course, they would email that back to us, which was a really interesting way to make a point, end quote. So there's the quote for uh, what we were just talking about. And how wonderfully simple is this? But, but, but we shouldn't confuse simplicity with ease, as writers will often confess, if I had more time, I'd have written something shorter. What Zakin and Weisberg were doing was reasoning by analogy, much like Ted Sarandos at Netflix. In his conversation with Mark Andreessen, Sarandos uh, explained how Netflix saw an opportunity, or they, they saw a success in one area and viewed it as an opportunity for them. So their Marvel series on Netflix has done well because they saw that Marvel characters sell comic books and Marvel characters sell movies, so Marvel characters might sell Netflix subscriptions. Uh, this is how Zakin and Weisberg explained it. Quote, For us, the email was really a way to recreate morning television. But when you wake up, you don't necessarily have four hours to look at your TV. You need to get the information you need. You grab your phone, you read your email, you walk out the door. End quote. Their model was morning television. Growing up, I didn't even realize there were other morning shows besides the NBC Today show that was always on in our house. That was the morning routine for my parents as a child. Wake up make breakfast and coffee and tea and turn on NBC. That was it. That was the habit loop that we were in. And that's what the Skim founders found. Like a find and replace computer function, Zakin and Weisberg created a new routine. Routines are sticky. Sticky means stuck. Stuck means difficult to switch. Difficult to switch means pricing power. In our Moats and Allocators podcast, we looked at how strong brands that have high switching costs means pricing power. And does the Skim have that? Maybe. In one interview, Zakin explained that she likes to take a taxi to work. This is what she said. Quote, And the reason I do this is because I can do work calls. So I actually find that it gives me like an extra 20 minutes to be productive for work. Because I just am not good at walking and talking on the phone. And I also wouldn't be able to do that on the subway. So for me, spending that $7 cab ride in the morning is worth it to be able just to squeeze in a little bit of extra time of work to be more productive. End quote. A cab ride is a small expense for transportation that saves Aiken time. The skim is a small expense for information that saves a reader time. Small but essential parts may have the best pricing power of all. So how did two first-time founders with limited business training do all this? Zakin and Weisberg said, quote, We're really good and really annoying at asking a lot of questions. And I think our strongest asset as founders, honestly, is that we raise our hands whenever we don't know something and then find out who that person is that can help us know it, end quote. Humility seems to be another really important feature for startup founders. This I don't know everything, so I'm going to ask a question and just figure it out mindset. Tariq Farid had the same sort of figure-it-out gusto when he started Edible Arrangements. He said, quote, Humility is never a sign of weakness. Rather, it is a sign of willingness to learn, collaborate, benefit from experience. Arrogance, on the other hand, is often a sign of insecurity and can be an immediate turnoff when dealing with anyone in a business venture. David Hennemeyer Hansen, the co-founder of Basecamp and the designer of Ruby on Rails, said much the same thing. He said, quote, I retain the humility of knowing that just because I have hit a homer with Basecamp does not mean that I have some magic voodoo touch that's going to turn everything else into gold, end quote. Though they asked a lot of questions, Zakin and Weisberg didn't have to figure out everything. They didn't start from square one. They had some 
knowledge that they drew on to start the process. This is what they said, quote, From day one we had the luxury to see what had come before us in the media space, in the newsletter space, end quote. While Zakin and Weisberg were new to startups, quote, We knew the newsletter business. We knew marketing, end quote. Successful startups also need to catch a lucky break or two. Zakin and Weisberg sent an email to all their friends and colleagues, including those they left behind at NBC. One of them gave the founders a lucky break a few days later. They said, quote, Hoda Kotb responded and she said, I'll check it out. We did not know her. We followed up with her two more times but got no response. Day four of us in business and she said we were one of her favorite things on air and it totally changed our lives, end quote. When asked how much luck played a role in Instagram's success, Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger said, quote, I say 50%. I have this thesis in the, that the world runs on luck, and the question is what you do with it. Everyone gets lucky for some part of their life. The question is, are you alert enough to know you are being lucky? Are you talented enough to take that advantage and run with it? Do you have enough grit to stay with it when things get hard? End quote. Sending an email to Horakatbi is a good demonstration of uh, what Michael Mobison calls the success equation, where outcome equals skill plus luck. Sending the email was skill. Having Horakatbi read it on national television was luck. Are you talented enough to take that advantage and run with it? With the Skim brand growing, Zakin and Weisberg thought about other routines they could improve. Quote, we started something called Skim Ahead. It's an app. About a year and a half ago, the goal there was, can we go into another routine for our audience, and will they pay us for that, end quote. They also started a podcast. They want more ways to deliver the same service. Quote, audience size doesn't matter if you don't have connection. Our proof of trust is engagement, end quote. Their daily email has a 35% open rate. They're the highest selling affiliate for Casper mattresses. Book publishers have told them they sell more books than the than the marketing known as New York Times bestseller. Right now their brand is strong, but like our participant in any ecosystem, they need to grow. This is where things get dicey. Zakin and Weisberg's challenge is to expand the brand but not destroy it. To do this, they have a well-defined skim girl. This is what they said, quote, We created this character when we write, when our team writes, we're writing for a character the same way one of the writers for Letterman writes. We built this character that every single person on our team knows. They know Skim Girl's relationship history. They know what she's watching on Netflix, what her favorite app is, that she force quits her apps, what wine she's drinking. We know everything about her, end quote. And they created a culture of experimentation. Zakin said, quote, I tell this to our team all the time. Don't be afraid to try and fail, end quote. Charles Koch told Mark Andreessen, if you never have a failure, you'll never try anything new. And when... You come up with a theory, you want to try to falsify it as fast as you can. But should the voice of the skim be the skim girl, or should it be Zakin and Weisberg? In an interview with Zakin and Weisberg, Britt Morin explained why she named her company Brit & Co. Quote, I saw how people wanted to follow people and not random third-party brands. You wanted to follow Jimmy Fallon more than The Tonight Show. The future of media was largely human-led brands, end quote. And, and Britt Morin had this insight when she was working at YouTube. She saw in the data, she saw in the trends, that um, people were trending to what David Perel calls naked brands. So whether or not Zakin and Weisberg have made the, t the right choice, only time will tell. But it's an interesting thing to know, and I wonder if they would change it. Um, with the power of hindsight.
When asked about the best business books they've read, Weisberg recommended The Hard Thing about hard pigs by Ben Horowitz, and Zakin suggested the Steve Jobs biography by Walter Isaacson. This simple podcast episode shouldn't make the process seem simple. Startups are hard. <laughs> Weisberg um, had this great line, quote, It's funny when people ask that. This is about um, bootstrapping their company. Because they're like, oh, you decided to bootstrap it. And we're like, we didn't decide. Um, she, she added in, a, in another piece of the interview, quote, It all happened very quickly because we had also emailed every news anchor out there. Truly, we didn't know most of them, but we're like, we're former NBCers. Thought you'd love this. Thought you'd appreciate the need we're solving. Most of them didn't respond. End quote. Startups are ugly and hard, and there's days when nothing happens. Um, just because we can look back at the skim example and see some lessons and see the things that they did right, there's probably a lot of things that they did wrong that don't come out in these interviews when they talk to people. Zakin and Weisberg have worked more for less so far than they did at NBC. Much like investing on your own, rather than buying an index fund, your competitive advantage comes from doing something you enjoy. The founders have a long way to go, but they're off to a great start, and it seems like the things that they've done have really been good choices. First, they were aware of the world. They noticed poor product market fit, and they set out to solve that. Two, they built something small using their current skills. They talk about going into debt in their credit cards to start the company, but I can't imagine what kind of a debt they were in for having a newsletter in a website. So they started small and they did things they already knew how to do. The third thing, they tested, they experimented, they refined, they adapted the voice of the skim girl and now everyone knows it now that the brand has been established. They've tried apps and podcasts and they know which affiliate advertisers work better than others. Fourth, they built the brand. Brands can be really powerful, especially if you get something that is a small but important part of some process. This was a key to our Moats and Allocators podcast, and it's a theme I've seen more and more, that if the skim can be a small cost, if they can get people to pay a little bit, but they, they read it every single morning, then it can be something that really grows into a large and powerful brand. And the fifth part of our outline that we started with was expand, don't break the band. The, don't break the brand. And every... Uh, Every company, every organization, every situation is like an ecosystem where the, the skim newsletter is like a very tall tree and then around that tree can be some smaller plants, but another tall tree can't grow there. So what the founders need to do, what Zakin and Weisberg have to focus on is figuring out how far away they have to go to grow another tall tree. And if they succeed, they'll have a forest of successes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mike's Notes. Well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. All right, then, leave. And take your book with you.